Hello and welcome to Horror Cool Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. And I'm Gary. And welcome to 2024 on the Horror Cool Trash Over podcast. Yes. Um, this is our very first episode for 2024. Yeah. Welcome to the new year. It's January. New year, new us. We hope everyone had a fabulous Christmas and New Year's and... It was peaceful or enjoyable or however you wanted it to be. Um, so yes, this is our first episode, 2024. Yeah. Do things slightly differently. We are. Very exciting. Um, so should we just get straight into it rather than explaining it? Um, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, new section. We're going to begin our episodes with what's new with Chris and Gary. Yeah. Not, not personal. Well, I'm not going to talk well, about my bowel movements or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but what have we been watching? What have we been watching? Well, in this new section that we like to call What's New with Chris and Gary, we've got a best of the week. We've got a worst of the week. But if there's no worst, there's a second best. And of course, there's the honourable mentions. So you may remember this from Original versus Remake. Yes. Okay. Now it's every week. So now, okay, so now I will explain. I've just explained it. <laughs> I thought I'd do a quick explanation. So in, in 2023 and previously, before then, we would finish our original original versus remake episodes by saying what we'd enjoyed and not enjoyed for that month. Now we're bringing it to weekly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great start. First up... What's your best of the week? So my best of the week would have to... Well, if we're going with films yeah. that we've watched this week, uh-huh. and we haven't watched too many... It can be anything. Just, yeah. There's no there's no rules as to what it can and can't okay, be. Okay, can I just say, maybe, definitely top five mm-hmm. best episodes of Real Housewives yeah. of all time. But that's my second best. Yeah, the finale... Of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Season four. Season four. Top tier entertainment. Mm-hmm. Camp as you like. Yeah. So over the top. Genuinely quite shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you've been following the story for not just this um, season, but for prior seasons as well. I I was entertained from start to finish. Gossip Girl meets Scream. Gossip Girl meets Scream meets um, Pretty Little Liars meets Showgirls. <laughs> What's the one with um, Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern? Um, Nicole Kidman. Oh, Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. It, all of it. That scene on the beach. Um, I'm sure you've seen it, even if you're not Housewives fans. It's the moment of television yeah. to start 2024. Uh-huh. We've got a villain of the year already. Oh, five, five stars. Ten out of ten. I could, I could, I, I should watch it again. Get Heather so Gay good. her Emmy. Oh, Heather Gay deserves an award. I, and I was going off Heather Gay. Mm-hmm. I was going off Heather Gay. Despite the surname. But she's, she's back. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Oh my God. So yeah. entertaining. Yeah, no, absolutely. I <laughs> when we first started the podcast, I'd never seen an episode of Housewives. And now I can't imagine life without it. Don't know what it says about my life, but there we go. I believe, and I, I shouldn't have to defend, and I, I'm not defending my taste 
Um, but I do believe there's enough room for both. There is. There and is. I can have Real Housewives in my life and enjoy that. And I can also sit down and watch um, a Bergman movie. Yeah. And still enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And what we'll probably find is sometimes there's some parallels between the two. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Bergman does a lot of domestic dramas. Yeah. You know? Um, so I I feel like in my life, in my viewing, there's enough room for everything. Mm-hmm. Apart from Fast and the Furious, but that's like a nice point. Is, is that your best of the week? My best. Your number one. My number one, the most I've en- been entertained for an hour this week. Um, and maybe I'm a little biased because the memes <laughs> have been hilarious as well. But the most I was entertained, and I, I know you're going to judge me. I'm <laughs> not judging. No, I was great. But, because what you're going to say is is arguably better. I give them uh, both Artistically stars. better. But in terms of entertainment, shock value, <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah, it was that season finale. Wow. And uh, for once on this podcast, I am going to sound more classy than Chris. <laughs> That was my second best of the week. My best of the week, which is probably Chris's second best of the week, mm-hmm. uh, is the Discarnates. And you might be thinking, what is the Discarnates? It is the original adaptation of the novel Strangers, uh, directed by Shini, uh, by uh, Nobuhiki Obayashi, who did House. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it is... Amazing. Like, obviously, we're getting all of us strangers later this month, which I'm sure will appear in one of these episodes. Um, and it's just incredible. I read the uh, Taichi Yama, Yamada uh, novel before Christmas, and it was amazing. Um, I mean, both that and this original adaptation are both five stars for me out of five. It's just so unusual like it's a really touching story but with j-horror elements thrown in and obviously a director like obayashi is the perfect guy for this and he really blended it in a way that didn't feel out of place it Mm. felt right as as weird as it sounds because when it's dramatic it's over the top dramatic and when it's delving into horror the horror is over-the-top horror, but again, dramatic horror. It's also romantic at times. It's just a perfect film for me. It's If, if anyone wants to know what my perfect film would look like, it, it would be this. All of Us Strangers has been getting great reviews, yeah. and we are super excited to watch it. After watching The Discarnates, I wonder where it's going to go, Yeah, and how they're going to deal with that subject matter. Mm-hmm. Because The Discarnates dealt with it in such a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Both the genuinely sort of um, heartfelt moments yeah. and the horror dealt with it so well that I'm not sure how Oliver Strangers is going to be able to do that. Yeah, because it, it because dealt... I, I say it a lot on yeah. the podcast, but... Japanese cinema uh-huh. has a particular way with these things that I love. And it's a very Japanese, the, the discarnates. It's a very yeah. Japanese way. 
So I, I wonder how they're going to go with it. Yeah, it, it deals with it in a way that only Japanese cinema could deal with mm. it. Um, in a way that only Asian cinema could deal with it. Yes, um, of course. Yes. So, yeah, I am curious to see what happens there in the British film being released later this month. Yeah. Um, and also, we watched Red Spells, Spells Red, the animal cruelty-free version, might I add. Yeah. Um, that was... Again, a film that only Asian cinema could produce. Yeah, it's it's kind of a cross between Cannibal Holocaust and uh, Boxer's Omen. Yeah. So it's it's one of the sort of uh, black magic movies that were so sort of prevalent mm-hmm. in uh, sort of the, the early eighties. And I, yeah, it's a real fun film. You know, quite silly. Yeah, uh, quite over the top and gory. It's what you expect. Yes. You know, the version we got uh, did include the animal cruelty-free cut, which is, is what we watched. So yeah. I, I'm glad that we have those options. Yes. Yeah. I've been reading Poor Things by Alistair Gray in anticipation for the film. Yes. Very weird. Hopefully the film will be just as weird. Um, Yeah. Part of my... Goal to read 43 books this year. 45, sorry. 45 books. Mm, nice. See nice. if that works out for Get me. In there. Stay tuned. In, similarly, I um, haven't quite started, but it's my New Year's resolution to read more books. So yeah. I will hopefully be starting The Colour Purple soon. Again, in anticipation. Yeah, that's next on my list. And also, also we've been watching The Traitors <laughs> on BBC. Uh, because we were bad gays last year, um, and we didn't watch it when all the gays were going crazy about it. But this year, we've started with season two, and we are hooked. It is High Camp, Claudia Winkleman, solidified gay icon. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's one of those shows that I was like, no, I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in, it's stupid. Um, and it is, it is a bit stupid, but really fun, really campy. Quite over the top, yeah, um, and genuinely intriguing. Um, do I find the majority of the people on the show quite annoying? Yes. Um, <laughs> do am I still completely enthralled? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Job well done. Um. So with that being said, we have our first episode of our. January two-parter. So half of this month is dedicated to Japanuary, which we'll be getting at the end end of January. The last the last two weeks, yeah. The second half is what I was looking for. But first up, we have Dump Month. Yeah, so Dump Month, it's got nothing to do with um, shitting. Um, Dump Month is essentially films that we've chosen to mm-hmm. discuss that were released in January. Um, historically, January is the month where box office takings are quite low. Yeah. And so studios have always released the films they have little faith in mm-hmm. within January. And we just wanted to discuss a couple of films that we believe either shouldn't have been released in dump month or 
it's right that they were. <laughs> yeah. So this week was my choice. It was Joe Dante's Matinee from 1993. That is. And yeah, as you said, directed by Joe Dante. Yeah. Director of Inner Space, Gremlins 1 and 2, The Howling, Piranha, Small Soldiers, The Burbs, Rock and Roll High School, Looney Tunes, Back in Action, and more. And from this moment on, a spoiler warning is in place. So if you haven't seen Matinee... Go and check it out, because, spoiler alert, it's the better half of Dumpman. It is, yes. And uh, we highly recommend checking it out. And if you're new to this podcast, we're about to talk about the whole thing. Continuing, though. It was written by Charles S. Haas, who did Over the Edge, uh, Tron, Tex, Reckless Disregard, Martians Go Home, Gang of Four, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and Rebel Highway. And Jericho Stone, who only wrote My Stepmother is an Alien, aside from this. Oh, wow. Um, he did the original screenplay, which was very difficult for the final product. And according to Joe Dante, Jericho's take was more of a fantasy. It was set in an old f- movie theater at a matinee. And Mant is showing the film within the film. The characters are all the kids in the neighborhood. And it's all about how they imagine the theater is a sort of... Uh, phantasmagoria of scary matrons, vampire projectionists, and things like that. At the end of the film, the kids now grown up have a reunion there, only to find it's become a video store. Kind of sounds like it. Um, but anyway. I I like the idea of that. That is good. It's I a fun do, idea. I do like the idea of that. Um, I like what the, they eventually mm-hmm. did as well. Um, but I would, I would have liked to have seen that take on it. Actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, he only received a story credit for that and a, um, alongside Haas. Um, Haas got sole screenplay credit due to the rewrites he did to the original script. Um, and Jericho wasn't happy about this, so he would later uh, litigate unsuccessfully against the uh, Writers Guild for a screenplay credit. Huh? But nope, he's only credited for the story. I mean, a lot has changed from that original script. Yes. And I would hazard to guess that uh, Joe Dante had a huge hand in sort of the story as well. Yeah. And where the film, the direction of the film, um, plot-wise, in the end. Because this is very sort of indicative of his uh, influences yeah. and his style uh-huh. and what he sort of enjoyed and the kind of films that he made. And very Spielbergian as well. Yeah, I, I I feel like during sort of the the seventies and eighties, there's lots of these films where grown up male directors are sort of creating nostalgia films. I'm thinking stuff like Stand by Me, you know, by Rob Reiner, mm-hmm. uh, Back to the Future. Um, yeah, Steven Spielberg, yeah. so much of his is clearly influenced by the kinds of films that he loved as a mm-hmm. child. Um, so, you know, something like Gremlins is absolutely a sort of uh, little creature feature. And yeah. so reminiscent of the kinds of films that Joe Dante would have uh-huh. loved, you know, Piranha, all that shit. You know, all of them. Yeah. And I think this one really takes that mm-hmm. and runs with it. Yeah. No, it definitely does. 
It's made on a budget of $13 million and it only made $9.5 million at the box office. It's now a cult film, of course. So the big question is, did this deserve... This deserved? Mm -hmm. This did this deserve to be dumped? That's a lot of Ds for one sentence. Um, no, no, absolutely not. No, it, it, it did didn't. Not. I feel like it should it, have been a summer blockbuster. It should have had a summer blockbuster. Yeah. I, I feel like kids in the 80s and grown ups would have yeah. really loved this. I, I don't know about the marketing mm -hmm. or anything like that, but I think it's a real shame that it was a box office bomb. I don't know. I mean, Dante wasn't exactly unfamiliar with uh, disappointing box office. No. With Gremlins 2, Explorers, Inner Space. But he'd also had big hits like yeah. Gremlins and, and The Burbs. So um, I do think we tend to see Joe Dante as a cult film director. Yeah. Though. I don't think he has the stature of someone like Steven Spielberg who pretty much constantly gave box office it's true. blockbusters. Yeah. It's easy to forget that with the success of Gremlins. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I... He's up there for me. He's, I think he's one of the best, and he's yeah. great at what he does. Yeah. Um, I mean, Small Soldiers, I was obsessed growing up and appreciated just as much as an adult because it has that thing in there, that kind of Roger Corman thing where, you know, it's a kid's film, but with so many adult elements in there to the point mm. that it can be appreciated by everyone, which is what this is. Yeah, yeah. Should we talk about who's in it? Yes, and a section that we still like to call, Hey, I Know You. First up, we have John Goodman playing William Castle. I mean, Lawrence Wolsey. <laughs> um, so Lawrence Wolsey. Yes. He is obviously based on the real Hollywood showman who we did a whole podcast episode on. We did. William Castle. William Castle. Absolutely. He's, you know, he's introduced in a recreation of one of his fav famous trademark of a silhouette of him in a director's chair mm -hmm. with his head turned in profile with his cigar. Um, and of course, Wolsey International Pictures is an homage to American International Pictures, one of the most prolific producers of low budget sci-fi and horror films that was... Uh, once home to both Roger Corman and Samuel Z. Arkoff. Mm -hmm. And his library is now controlled by MGM. The name of the company is even more of an obvious homage to Warner Brothers Pictures, uh, run by Lawrence Warner, Bernard Warner, and David Warner, who later formed Dimension Pictures. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so the whole thing is a homage to B-movies of the 50s, the 60s, and so on. Um, but also horror cinema as a whole, but mainly... William Castle. Yes. And John Goodman in this proves that if there's ever a biopic about William Castle, he's the man to play him. <laughs> yeah. He does it so well. Of course, he's the star of 10 Cloverfield Lane, Barton Fink, Argo, Flight, The Borrowers, True Stories, The Big Lebowski, The Flintstones, The Hudsucker Proxy, and so many more. Um, yeah. Whereas Joe Dante's up there amongst favourite directors, John Goodman is one of my favourite actors. I think he's fantastic. He's so charismatic in everything he's in. Uh, regardless of the quality of the film, he's always fantastic. And he just provides such a fantastic performance here. He definitely comes across as one of those guys where you think he's probably a genuinely nice yeah. guy off screen. I reckon everybody likes him. Yeah. And that definitely shows in definitely. front of the camera yeah. as well. Uh -huh. 
particularly in this role, I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could tell. I think he had been studying William Castle. Yeah, even though he wasn't technically playing William Castle, even though he definitely is. I think he studied him for the role because mm-hmm. he definitely shows. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure it was in the notes. Kathy Moriarty plays Ruth Corday and Carol. Rage using Raging Ball, Soap Dish, The Bounty Hunter, Analyze That, But I'm a Cheerleader, Crazy in Alabama, Casper, Kindergarten Cop, and more. She brings the camp for this film when it's missing. Yeah, yeah. She is the old Hollywood B-movie actress. Yeah. Um, who's a little bit sexy. Yeah. And uh, a little bit fed up. She is. <laughs> I should have said a lot of bit uh-huh. fed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think great. she's great. I love Kathy Moriarty. I love her voice. I thought she was absolutely impeccable in But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I think she's a fantastic actress. And yeah. I, she's one of those actresses that I think we tend to latch on to. Yeah. Where they maybe we haven't had the bigger career as they probably could have. Yeah. Um, I think we tend to, as in me and Gary, tend to uh, follow these kind of actresses. Mm-hmm. So she's definitely up there, lover. Yeah. Simon Fenton plays Gene Loomis. Uh, he was in The Power of One, Tom's Midnight Garden, Castles, The Bill, the Century Bill? Falls, Soldier Soldier, Grange Hill. Casualty, uh huh, through oh. the dragon's eye, and more. Um, yeah, he does a really great job, especially with you know the revelation that he's British as well. Yeah, um, I had no kid, idea. Wow, you know, very very convincing. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know he gets the task of leading the film mm-hmm. um, with a child actor that could always go one of two ways, uh, but he does a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. He doesn't actually come across as annoying. <laughs> no, which is, is rare. Yeah, quite endearing, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, just to confirm, I've done some research and he is British. There we go. Well, I don't think anyone... Uh... American. That one American actor that's picked to play an American character in the Bill Grange Hill casualty. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Maybe he moved over here. Omri Katz plays Stan. He was in Hocus Pocus, Dallas... Eerie Indiana, The John LaRiquette Show, Zorro, Dinosaurs the Movie, The Torkoal Sons, Freaks and Geeks, and more. Which one Stan? Stan's his friend. Oh, okay. Finds, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, he does an alright job. I mean, he's not the biggest role, is he? No, he's very much one of those Steven Spielberg slash Stephen King type kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they've always got that hair and like a striped uh-huh. t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, all he needed was a bike and he would have yeah, been that's true. perfect. Um, as bizarre as it is to say, in a bizarre series of events, Naomi Watts is in this. She is. As shopping cart starlet. Yes. Uh, I believe her first American role. Yes. Uh, star of Mulholland Drive, podcast film The Ring, uh, The Ring 2, King Kong, Birdman, The Impossible... Twin Peaks, The Return, Funny Games Remake, St. Vincent, and more. She gets a small amount of screen time, but she really does a fucking great job. Well, what what, what she's part of is maybe arguably the funniest part of the yeah. film. Um, so we'll get, we'll get to that yes. when we get there. And of course, it's Joe Dante and 
I can't recall if we've done a Hey, I Know You for Joe Dante before, but if we did, his name definitely would have appeared. It's Dick Miller, everybody. Dick? As That's Herb, an interesting name. As Herb Denning. Uh, the most, again, Steven Spielberg slash Joe Dante slash Stephen King name from anything ever. Yeah. <laughs> Herb Denning. Uh, star of Chopping Mall, Little Shop of Horrors, Gremlins, Small Soldiers, Terminator... Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, The Burbs, and more. Again, not a lot to do, but seeing Dick Miller playing a tough guy, hilarious. Yes, yeah. Um. Also for Joe Dante, oh. you're guaranteed Dick Miller, and you're also guaranteed, I believe, Joe Dante's wife, they might not still be together, okay. Belinda Belaski. What was she in? Gremlins, Gremlins yeah. 2, Small Soldiers, The Howling, Piranha, nice. Amazon Women on the Moon, uh, Food of the Gods, uh, Cannonball. Um, so, yeah, she plays Stan's mother, but um, she she's always popping up in uh, Joe Dante nice. films. And uh, also, John Sayles plays Bob. Now, he's star of uh, Malcolm X... Something Wild, he was also in The Howling and Piranha, he was in Girl Fight, Gridlocked, Passion Fish, but also two-time Oscar nominee oh. for um, Best Screenplay. Nice. So he wrote The Howling, he wrote Mimic, Lone Star, Alligator, Battle Beyond the Stars, Passion Fish, um, The Brother from Another Planet, he also directed Passion Fish. And the brother from another planet. So really, a real sort of prolific yeah. movie writer and director and actor. And he plays Bob, so sort of Dick Miller's sidekick, really. Yeah. And, and, and uh, probably a cameo, uh-huh. I suppose you'd call it. But yeah, I thought, thought it was quite interesting. That is quite interesting. But that being said... Let's talk about our feature presentation. He came to the ends of the earth. Aren't you that guy that makes them scary movies? Just as the earth was about to end. The country is on red alert. What a perfect time to open a new horror movie. The whole world's going to blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. Looks so real. From the director of Gremlins. Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Rated PG. Starts Friday, January 29th at theaters everywhere. So we get an introduction to producer Lawrence Wolsey in his director's chair with his big cigar warning us about ants mutating as a result of the atomic bomb. This is part of the trailer for a sensational new horror film entitled Mant. The film within a film uh, that had actors cast to appear as as if they're in a 1950s era science fiction film. They included Kevin McCarthy, Robert Cornfway, and William Shallot. It also parodies a bunch of uh, films that aren't William Castle films, such as Them, Tarantula, The Deadly Mantis, Beginning of the End, and The Fly. Yes, so uh, Lawrence Woolsey within this trailer says the story of Mant is based on scientific fact from theories that have been published in national magazines. <laughs> um, Mant. Yeah. I would go on record and say probably mm-hmm. my favourite movie within a movie. What about one from Demons? <laughs> 
that amazing acting. Uh, that is true. <laughs> no, it's Mant. But it's, I feel yeah. like Mant would be the one that I would really want to watch. Yeah. Yeah, so when we watched Mant, the extra on the Arrow Video Blu-ray, yeah. um, when we first watched Matinee, I, I gave that five stars as well. because but, I mean, it's Yeah, but I mean, there's a full-length, yeah. hour and a half yeah. feature. Yeah, it's a great short, but it, it would be great to see as a full-length. Yeah, yeah. So we have this trailer to start, and we're introduced to our characters. So in October of 1962, in Key West, Florida... Gene Loomis and his younger brother, Dennis, live on a military base with their mother, Anne, while their father is away on a United States Navy submarine. So at a local movie theatre one afternoon, Gene and Dennis see this promo for Mant and they're completely enthralled and they can't wait to watch it. So they learn that, and we learn that Woolsey, Lawrence Woolsey, is scheduled to appear in person at the theatre the following Saturday. But their mother doesn't think it's a good idea for Dennis to see the film, as he does take things rather literally. Yeah. Um, Gene likes to wind up his brother. In, uh, in the cinema. Yes, in the ass. cinema, yes. Absolute nightmare. Me- yeah. Um, many moments that uh, Gary would very much be triggered as a patron of the cinema. I find it funny that eventually when everyone's in the cinema jumping ahead a bit, they all act like the gremlins in Gremlins when they're in the cinema watching Snow White and they're just constantly talking and throwing popcorn and being annoying. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a nice little touch. (laughs) But yeah, no, come on. One thing I hate is when a kid is being annoying anyway, out in public, and then either the sibling or the parent winds them up some more. Like, okay, no one wants to fucking hear this. Don't fucking encourage them. Shut it's up. It's true. It's true. Now, I like Gene as a character, but this is a bad start. Yeah. Um, I thought they were giving Lisa Barlow's kids, if Lisa Barlow's kids had a little yeah. more personality. Yeah. <laughs> but miracles can't happen. Um, also, you know the trailer? Um, it, it says the film's being presented in Atomo Vision, with a new gimmick called Rumble Rama. Yes, and that will feature throughout it will, the film. Yeah, and it's so William Castle. Yeah. I also appreciated, you mentioned they return home, I appreciate Andy in his sailor suit asking if they want to shoot frogs with him. <laughs> what a fucking weirdo. <laughs> I just love that character, where it's just like the, the neighbourhood kid that's just a little bit off. He's just like walking up to them with a shotgun, like, hey, do you want to go and shoot some frogs? And he's dressed like a sailor. Happened before the internet, I suppose. <laughs> um, Gene's mother is worried that he's replacing friends with films. Um, Don't we all? Is that something you've heard <laughs> in the past, Gary? Yeah, that's what I grew up doing. <laughs> I may, may, may have heard similar in my time. But this film's unrealistic because he actually makes friends. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, so after the boys uh, return home to the base, the Loomis family, they watch... President Kennedy deliver a speech confirming the presence of Soviet missiles in Cuba. So pretty much the whole of this film is set during the um, 12 days of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Um, And it plays a huge part in the film. Yeah. And it's quite an intense speech on the television, Um, especially us knowing that this is a military family... In Florida. And yeah. Florida is incredibly close to Cuba. So I like... and I, No, I don't like... I love how the movie deals with the very real threat of nuclear war. 
and the campy, silly way that the movies dealt with radioactivity. Yeah. And that juxtaposition between the two and film and real life. Mm. And it doesn't, it, it, it's not necessarily a battle between the two. No. It's that they're not in competition, but it's kind of looking at things from a sort of 2020 hindsight perspective. Yeah. Without the rose coloured glasses. I like how it looks at the times with a nostalgia, yes, but also with realism. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I like that. It's uh, a mix that probably shouldn't work because you've got all of that. And then you've also got the coming of age side of the film. Mm. Then you've also got the love letter to William Castle and horror cinema. And putting the three of those things together in a film could result in one gigantic mess. But Joe Dante deals with it in such a great way here that really blends it seamlessly. And it all works together so well. And I honestly think that's why this is one of his best films, because it's just a sign of some fantastic filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. It's a love letter to childhood. Yeah. It's a love letter to that time in American history. Mm -hmm. But it's also remembering that it wasn't all peaches and cream. Yeah. And that's what I really like. It Mm -hmm. has an edge to it. But it doesn't smack you over the head with it. No. It, it it actually allows you to come to this conclusion and to, to realise. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. This isn't necessarily what I think it was going to mm-hmm. be. Or I thought it was going to be. Um, So, meanwhile, uh, whilst the, the Loomis's are, are watching President Kennedy on the TV, uh. Arriving in Florida with his actress girlfriend, Ruth Corday, Woolsey finds the fearful atmosphere created by the ongoing crisis perfect for hosting Matt's premiere. Um, yeah, I mean, totally believable. Yeah, totally believable uh-huh. that uh, William Castle, uh, above anything else, was a showman mm-hmm. and loved a gimmick. And what a better gimmick then having an actual nuclear crisis yeah. going on down the uh-huh. road for where you're about to premiere your film. <laughs> um, Ruth is a queen and she knows her worth. And so the future of their relationship is solely reliant on Mance's box office takings. Uh-huh. She wants a real life in flops. <laughs> so uh, at school, a girl and Jean's future crush slash yeah. love interest named Sandra, receives a week-long detention for protesting against the uselessness of a duck-and-cover air raid drill, insisting that immediately dying from the effects of an atom bomb is preferable to dying from acute radiation syndrome caused by fallout. So she literally says, screaming, (laughs) Yes, but it isn't any protection. It doesn't do any good. Keep your heads down if you think it's going to help. To put your hands behind your neck when the bomb falls, you're wrong. If you die when the bomb first falls, you're lucky. Because if not, you're going to get radiation poisoning. First, your hair's going to fall out. Then then you're going to bleed from your intestines. You're going to start throwing up, but you're not throwing up food. You're throwing up your own organs. Of course, she's accused of being a communist. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, But, it, I mean... 
to hear this coming from a child uh-huh. um, is quite shocking. And to actually realise that what she's saying is making perfect sense, yeah. actually, is just as shocking. Uh-huh. So uh, Gene gradually befriends one of his classmates, Stan. And uh, Stan has a crush on another girl at school called Sherry. Uh, Sherry's very concerned for Jean's father and our boys, as she puts it, in the military, and suggests that they say some special morning prayers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that speaks for itself. Whenever you see it all the time, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thoughts, as if thoughts and prayers gets anyone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think um, Stan might be a potential future sex offender. Um, he... <laughs> He says they're all talking about uh, Wolsey at lunch and he says uh, that it would be perfect to take a girl on a date to see the eyes of Dr. Diablo because it's a film that hypnotises you. Oh dear. Oh dear. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they go back to Stan's house, him and and Gene, and they listen to a record where a guy just keeps saying tits and ass. Yeah. But it's not from a chorus line. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. And uh, they quickly switch it off when uh, when his mum gets home. Um, but yeah, the height of uh, rebellious actions in the uh, in the sixties. Yeah, and I I think it's what the film does so well is that it has these sort of shocking moments with regards to the nuclear war and, you know, a, a character like Sandra, who is in many ways quite cynical yeah. about life. And then they have this very innocent moment where tits and ass is like the most offensive thing uh-huh. on the planet. And it works. Um, and I feel like it maybe shouldn't work. It might feel a little too jarring or, mm-hmm. you know, might be a little too schmaltzy. Yeah. But it actually really, really works. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean and Dennis are being annoying at home. So their mother tells them to fuck off to the cinema. Um, Dennis learns the word hell from the United Nations <laughs> on TV. And it's quite funny. He says, oh, hell. And his mother says, where's he learnt that from? <laughs> Gene says from the UN because <laughs> there's some sort of uh, United uh-huh. Nations sort of, um, conference going on on the TV where someone's swearing. So they go to the cinema. Yeah. What do they go to watch? They watch a double feature of the Shook Up, Sha- uh, Shook Up Shopping Cart and the Bashful Bobcat. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, the star of the Shook Up Shopping Cart... <laughs> Naomi Watts, yeah. with a British accent. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I want to see that film. Well, it features Naomi Watts as the niece of a man transformed into a shopping cart. Um, so in, in, in the same way that Mant is a parody of B-movies from the 50s and 60s, yeah. this is a parody of the kind of Disney films that came out, probably mm-hmm. more in the 70s. Yeah. So it's stuff like The Shaggy DA and Herbie the Love Bug. Yeah. Where inanimate objects or animals... Mm-hmm. Um, become that darn cat. Very human. Yeah, that darn cat, all that. 
have very human traits. <laughs> so absolutely hilarious. Um, Naomi Watts is giving Mary Poppins she as is. well. Um, do you know which one Shaggy DA is? No. So it went kind of viral, a clip from it, where it's obviously a man in a dog suit. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's it's definitely, it's a parody of those sort of films. <laughs> but hilarious parody. Um. So... In Florida, Wolsey has brought along two of his actors, Herb Denning, a former hired thug, and Bob, a victim of the Hollywood blacklist now relegated to cheap, independent B-movies. And they pose as outraged citizens protesting Mant's theatrical exhibition. Um, yeah, it, it's playing on the idea... And we've spoke about it mm-hmm. many times on the podcast. The idea that um, all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if you're telling the world that this film is so shocking, that it's so horrific, that no one should watch it, no one should be allowed to watch it, then the majority of the people are going to really want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like the little bit of dialogue where they're like, uh, oh, have you seen the film itself? And like, no, but we don't need to go down to the sewer to know it's filled with trash. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, that felt like a dig at the video nasties. Yeah. Yeah, because that's um, Sandra's parents. Yeah. So Sandra's parents, Jack and Rhonda, they're advocating for allowing the premiere to go on based on the First Amendment rights. Um, they're again... Damn homi- uh, communist <laughs> hippies. <laughs> um, funnily enough, Sandra refers to them as Jack and Rhonda as well. Yeah. So I feel like... I think that's a hippie thing as well. I it's... think so. I think it's a bit of a um, parody on that culture as well. Yeah. So I, I again, it kind of toes the line quite well. Uh-huh. Where it's sort of bringing up this sort of community and they're very forward thinking which is a great thing in many respects. Yeah. But then it's also kind of a bit like your kid calls you by your first uh-huh. name. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not judging anyone that does that, but it, it's it's very strange to hear a child not call their parents mum and dad. Yeah. Or mum and mum or, or dad and dad. Um, so violent juvenile delinquent <laughs> and aspiring poet Harvey Starkweather Sherry's ex-boyfriend threatened Stan. So Stan lies to poor Sherry mm-hmm. out of fear and he calls off their first date, which happened to be on Saturday. And where were they going? Was it the aquarium? They were going to go to the aquarium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were going to go look at some coral. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, by the beach then. Yeah, I love this character. Um, Sherry, no. Oh. Well, I mean, Sherry's great. Yeah, but Sherry, but yeah. I love Harvey, Harvey. Starkweather. Uh-huh. Um, I love the soundtrack choices when he's on screen. How when he first shows up, "My Boyfriend's Back" by the Angels plays, yeah. <laughs> so on the nose, but it's hilarious. And then when he's threatening Stan, the score actually sounds like Twin Peaks. It sounds like it's going for the jazzy Twin Peaks score. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I found that happened later on when he was on screen as well. And mm. I just thought that's it has to be a Twin Peaks reference. Yeah, but I suppose Twin this Peaks is very... references as well. Yeah. 
So Twin Peaks is very sort of um, rebel without a cause at times. Yeah. It's, it's very sort of this era. It's felt, it felt very like Bobby Briggs. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. But also it felt like something out of a John Waters film mm-hmm. as well. And, and like you said, they are referencing films from around the era when this was set. But it just... That soundtrack that sounded exactly yeah, like no, it, absolutely. Um, which I, I really appreciated. I also appreciated his poem uh, that he reads to stand to intimidate him, <laughs> where he says, "Destiny, it's like a crazy river where you see different people's boats that they have go going by on it, but tomorrow, tomorrow's a knife. Tomorrow's a big knife. You get it? It's like, no, that makes no sense, but it's amazing. I think I got it. Yeah." <laughs> Maybe. Or maybe not. Uh, So at school, Jean talks to Sandra about her detention. And she tells him it's nothing compared to Gandhi's year away. (laughs) And she talks to him about the segregated school system. So again, we get this nostalgia towards the time period. But it always reminds us that it wasn't perfect. Uh It, It wasn't. And... It is for, you know, very clear that everyone in the film is white. Yeah. And it, it addresses that in, in this scene. Yeah. And why that is. Mm-hmm. And, and why, you know, no spoiler for the end, but why Sandra is such a queen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because she brings these things mm-hmm. up and she's kind of a, a voice of... The future generation. Yeah. She is maybe sort of the voice of um, the, the screenwriter. Yeah, himself. absolutely. You know, maybe, you know, she represents that. Because there's a naivety to a lot of the other characters to a certain degree. And they go on a journey, really, from mm-hmm. naivety to... Oh my god, is this the end of the world? Yeah. But she's kind of cynical from the start. Uh-huh. She kind of knows, despite her young age, she knows that the world isn't great. Yeah. Absolutely. So while reading an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland, Jean recognizes Herb as having starred in an earlier Wolsey film, The Brain Leeches. <laughs> All these films I would love to watch. Uh, he tells Wolsey this, and Wolsey confesses the truth. And pleased with Jean's perceptiveness, Wolsey invites Jean to be part of Saturday's event. Uh, during all this, Wolsey is placing shockers under the seats in the cinema. And again, I, I like how the film <laughs> it kind of overdoes it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because it references every, pretty much all of William Castle's... Yeah. Uh, gimmicks. Uh-huh. So this is the one from the Tingler yeah. where people get shocks on their behinds during certain parts of the film. And he, Wolsey basically says to Jean, you know, you got to stand out. There's too much competition. The threat of nuclear war has got people <laughs> struggling to sleep at night. So you got to have a gimmick. <laughs> and I just find it so interesting and kind of comical to mm-hmm. a certain degree. That the competition for horror films isn't other horror films. It's real life. Yeah. And real life is so scary uh-huh. that his horror films have to have yeah. gimmicks in order to compete. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Well, it's kind of sad. Yeah. As well. Yeah. But also kind of comical. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I suppose. You know, it's, I mean, are we at that point where majority horror isn't scary Mm. compared to real life? Yeah. I think horror always reflects the time that it's set in, though. And I think this is a great example of that within this film. Mm. Because, you know, you look at something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, that is... There's a reason that film is so groundbreaking mm. and, you know, why it changed the face of horror considering the time it was released. Yeah. So I think the more fucked up horror's got, the more fucked up the world's got. Yeah, but do, do you think that um, that now with the internet, mm. do you think that horror... Horror isn't as scary. I in terms yeah. of so would people because I I've never really been drawn to the I'm so scared mm. part of horror, but with so much sort of true crime, yeah stuff out there, so many, um oh my god like snuff videos yeah that are accessible. Mm-hmm. Do you think that horror can't compete with those? I think so, but I think it's trying. And I yeah. think that's why films are getting more extreme and mm. you've got the likes of uh, Ooh, When Evil Lurks, Evil Dead Rise, Talk To Me, Terrifier 2, and you know films that are really pushing the boundaries with gore and nastiness within the films and mm. how mean-spirited they can be because you got to give something for horror fans when they can go and see whatever they like elsewhere at any time. Yeah. And it, there's, it, it's, you know... If you released a film now about a guy who was bitten by an ant and became mm-hmm. uh, Mant, 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 and not Ant Man, uh, became Mant, it it wouldn't be scary. No, no, no one would be scared. No, no one would be horrified. Yes, in nineteen sixty, they they would be. Yeah, um, but probably not as scared as they would have been in 1955 mm-hmm. or as scared as they would have been in 1950. So I think as the times have gone on, obviously our tolerance for horror is greater. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think now more than ever because of the internet, that's jumped up so yeah. much more. And I think so many films have to be in many ways, like you said, mean-spirited rather than, you know, making you jump kind of scary or being creepy. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them have to be really quite shocking in in that sense. And stuff like Hereditary, which Uh is a very creepy film, but what you remember is those truly horrific, really mean-spirited moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And was that a tangent? It was. It was a bit of a tangent. But I think it's also it's a sign that I think certain things from back then could still work now. Hence why we've got Godzilla tearing up the box office currently. Yes, but I think it's also why you haven't got a modern version of the mole people or the alligator people. Yeah. Yes, but then also I feel like something like Godzilla minus one mm. does a similar thing to Matinee. Yeah, it definitely does. 
yeah. it incorporates real life horror mm-hmm. into um, monster movies. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's actually ooh, I might have to change them at the end. No, but I um, but yeah, that that's doing really well. It's a fantastic yeah. film, but I I feel like if it wasn't for the human part of it, the war part of it, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be as scary, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, Wolsey continues to devote himself to promoting Mant. Uh, he hires Harvey to dress as the mutated half-man, half-ant creature from the film. So, Harvey, as a juvenile delinquent, he's that... I say juvenile. I'm, I'm, I don't know how old he's meant to be. Well, that's what I also I think someone funny. else who probably should be on a register. I, yeah, something else that I thought was funny about this character was the fact that there, everyone in this film that is a kid is played by a kid. Yeah. But I think they purposely cast him to look like he's in his 40s to... Because all of them did. Uh, yeah. All of these juvenile yeah. delinquents did, uh-huh. you know, um, in these older films. So, yeah, I thought that was really amusing, seeing yeah. him threaten Stan um, when he looks like he's a grown-up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at the, the quintessential juvenile delinquent on screen, James Dean. Yeah. Um, he did not look like a teen no, in that film. No. Um, Harvey is hired after Herb and Bob catch him stealing, because he's a juvenile delinquent, mm-hmm. Bob's wallet, and they tell him to get a square job. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's not good at that one. Dick Miller, um, looking like Robert De Niro and Kate Fear <laughs> in this film. Oh God! <laughs> With his shirt choice and suppose so. <laughs> um, Gene has a nightmare, but rather than dreaming of the large radioactive bugs from the movies that he's been warned will give him nightmares, he actually dreams of a nuclear blast. Yeah, jarring. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it works. It reminds you of the danger, the real-life danger in the film. And it's honestly such a great scene that I I actually forgot was in the film. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's it's very effective. And I I think it perfectly sums up what the film is about. Yeah. And this kid's love of films and all the horror films that he loves and all the times he's probably been told that it's going to rot his brain, that these films are going to give him nightmares and he's going to have sleepless nights yeah. because of these films and it's a tale as old as time. But his actual nightmare is something very real yeah, and something very close to home mm-hmm. because he then wakes up and finds his mum crying over an old family video yeah. in the front room. Mm-hmm. And it's his father, and it's the only time we see his father is through these family videos, yeah, um, or whatever home home, home movies, videos, yeah. home movies, and it's the only time we see him. And I think it's important that this is the only time we see him mm-hmm. because he is in imminent danger. Yeah, he, he's working in Cuba. Yeah, and it's. The horrors of war, the horrors of the Cold War, um, are very close to home. Yeah. And, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting part. And I, I think 
the, the sort of family dynamic without the father as well, uh-huh. and being a military family, I think plays into it really yeah. well. Um, Wolsey also installs large subwoofer type speakers as the first phase of a new film gimmick he names Rumble Rama. The cinema's manager, Howard, warns about Rumble Rama's potential effects on the old and fragile balcony area, which has a maximum capacity of 100 people. Now, we mention this because it might come up later in the film. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, at the Saturday matinee, Sherry encounters Stan, who is attending the premiere screening with Jean and Dennis. Initially upset that he deceived her, she later reconciles with him when Jean intercedes on the couple's behalf. So Sherry is there with her little bratty brother. Yeah. Um, who <laughs> forces her to go to the cinema with him to see Mant. Um, because he wouldn't be allowed otherwise. Mm-hmm. And he blackmails her with poems. Yeah. From, uh, what's it, Harvey, is it? Mm-hmm. From, uh, with poems from Harvey. So he's, <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a little bit of a cliche, the annoying uh-huh. little brother, but I'm pretty sure it, it was a real life thing, how annoying these little brother. I, I mean, I was the little brother, so I don't really know. Um, Ruth is dressed as a nurse she and she gets the audience to sign waivers before viewing the film, exonerating the filmmakers of blame if they have a heart attack. <laughs> Uh, Ruth being the unbothered queen that she is Is completely unfazed by a kid with a graze on his arm Believing her to be a real nurse (laughs) And twice in this film A kid comes up to her and says he's hurt himself Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, okay (laughs) Completely ignores it Absolute queen And she's slain in that outfit Oh, she looks so good Uh, Sandra attends the premiere with her parents But leaves them to watch the film with Jean and this is where the whole sort of Jean, Sandra, Stan and uh, Sherry thing starts to trigger Gary. If he was in the uh, audience. Yes. Uh, because they're up and down. They're in the middle of the film. I don't know how Jean can be a film fan. And get up <laughs> I and know. And get up and get popcorn and have a little chat Whilst the film's on. He was so excited about this film. And first he has a conversation with Stan about what happened. Then mm-hmm. he sorts their relationship out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on. Sit down and watch the film. That's sit what you're there the for. Film. And the film is playing. And what a film it is. Oh, yeah. It's B-movie perfection. So the character of Bill is bitten by a radioactive ant. Whilst at the dentist. And the dentist, <laughs> his girlfriend Carol played by Ruth, and uh, a radioactivity specialist, Dr. Flanken, tried to resolve the issue of his now part-man, part-ant body. The dialogue is so good. Yeah, we get... What in creation do you call that thing? Bill. Bill. (laughs) My personal favourite is, uh, he's not a monster, he's a shoe salesman. (laughs) Would you let that fit you in a pump? (laughs) And... Oh, Bill, if you could just listen to the man in you and put the insect aside. <laughs> insect aside? Where? <laughs> <laughs> Young lady, human slash insect mutation is far from an exact science. Uh, I love it. I love it. And we get we get 
a fair bit of the film we do. We throughout. Do. Um, it is an extra on the Blu-ray, yeah. and we watched it. Five stars. So good. Yeah. So funny. I feel like Joe Dante had a ball doing this. Yeah. Like, this is, this is what he wanted to do. Uh-huh. Like, I'm assuming he wouldn't get financing to just do a full-on no, B-movie. No. So being able to incorporate as much as he can uh-huh. within the film and film these scenes, I'm sure, was yeah. bliss to him. Um, and it really shows, because it's so funny. The dialogue's hilarious. It's, yes, a parody, but it's also respectful. It is. It doesn't... Yeah. This film never makes fun of William Castle. No. It never says that William Castle was a bad filmmaker mm-hmm. or a bad promoter or anything like that. It, it's really nostalgic yeah. to it and, and really respectful of it as well. Because mm-hmm. we love William Castle. You know, there'd be movies, you know. They ain't going to be winning any Oscars. No. But in terms of entertainment, they're up there with the best. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now, this is where everything starts to go downhill. At the cinema. Yeah. So when Harvey, still costumed as the Mant monster, sees Sherry and Stan kissing during the film, he attacks Stan in a rage, then punches Wolsey after he tries to intervene and a chase ensues. Stan then takes a shotgun from a fallout shelter located in the theatre's basement and uses it to frighten off Harvey. Um, I mean, if the up and down and the gossiping ain't going to trigger you, Gary. No. Surely this. Oh, well, yeah. I'm trying to watch this film. Yeah. But also, this is the point where everyone's acting like gremlins in the cinema as well. <laughs> yes. Actually fucking throwing popcorn and yes. talking. <laughs> uh, Sandra and Jean are unintentionally locked inside the shelter when the door is accidentally closed. And it's time lock activated. So while trapped inside, the two comfort each other, eventually sharing their first kiss. Which isn't as romantic when you find out that Lisa Jacob, uh, who plays Sandra in her memoir, um, said that her scene partner, Simon Fenton, did not like her at all. Oh, no. (laughs) Which made uh, the five takes of that scene very awkward and uncomfortable. Oh, no. And they did not get on. Oh. (laughs) Well, I mean... Good acting, then. Yeah, very good acting. I mean, they, I mean they did their job well. Um, she she says they might be Adam and Eve. So they're, <laughs> they're very sort of... The theatre manager also is believing that the, the nuclear yeah. holocaust is happening, uh-huh. you know, that it, this is time, and they believe it as well. And they're like, oh, no, we're trapped. We may be the only people left on Earth. <laughs> Which is funny, mm-hmm. but also... That's what people believed. Yeah. I mean, they didn't know. They didn't yeah. know what it meant. And all the propaganda and all the, you know, getting worked mm. up over it. And I I would, would say that the majority of the news outlets would have said the same thing. Yeah. If a bomb is dropped on this, it's going to completely destroy this, this, uh-huh. this, this, and you'll all be dead. Yeah. And, and that. Obviously, we live in a time now where I can get a hundred different opinions on the same thing, uh-huh. which is probably just as bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all fucked. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Wolsey helps rescue the pair from the shelter before their oxygen supply runs out. 
and Harvey reappears and holds a switchblade to Ruth's throat. So he's meant to be... So there are moments within Mant, the film, where um, sort of you know, extras turn towards the screen uh-huh. and talk as if something's happening in the theatre. Yeah. So he is meant to grab Ruth in a very Fay Ray kind of style mm-hmm. and take her away. And the uh, reactions on the film screen say, he's taken that nurse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he actually does, but with a switchblade to her throat. And he demands that the movie premieres cash receipts um, are given to him from uh-huh. Lucy. And uh, as he steals the cash, he then kidnaps Sherry and escapes. Howard immediately calls the police and Harvey is quickly arrested after crashing Wolsey's Cadillac outside the movie theatre. Sherry and Stan happily reunite after this ordeal. Uh, Wolsey also realises that Harvey has turned the Rumble-Rama machinery up so high that the now overcrowded theatre balcony is starting to collapse from the heavy sound vibrations. Um, assisted by Gene, Wolsey projects highly realistic footage of an, an atomic bomb mushroom cloud that appears to blast a hole through the screen and the theatres outside the wall. And this quickly evacuates the yeah. now panicked audience to safety. Uh-huh. Um, so the only way to get this um, <laughs> rowdy crowd to fuck off is to... Uh, <laughs> Show a very realistic nuclear bomb going off on the screen. Uh, One of the patrons says, this is it, this is it. Um, Dennis is left on the balcony alone. Who's Dennis? The brother. brother. Oh, yeah. I thought I'd written it down. We haven't seen him for a while, have we? Uh, Dennis is left on the balcony alone, but Jean and his mother manage to save him just before the balcony collapses. And I feel like this might be another scene that Joe Dante relished. Yeah. Being able to destroy a cinema. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And it's intense. It's an intense scene. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, which was it Gremlins 2? Uh, Gremlins, where he blows up a cinema. Yeah, but Gremlins 2. With Hulk Hogan. With Hulk yeah. Hogan. So I, I do think Joe Dante just I think he loves the cinema. He does. Yeah. There we go. Good for him. <laughs> Outside the cinema, Mr. Spectre, who is the owner of many cinemas, I think, uh, is pleased with the audience reaction to Mant, but fears the atomic bomb footage may cause seat wetting. <laughs> uh, oh, what's it? What's it? Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> I got that in my head now. Uh, he agrees to open Mant across the country. Yes. So... Ruth isn't leaving her man. No. It's going to make some big bucks, and uh, they're happy. So after the Cuban Missile Crisis has ended, Ruth and Wolsey leave for another premiere in Cleveland, bidding goodbye to Sandra and Jean. Wolsey has grown fond of the two kids, telling Ruth he might like to have two children after they marry. And Sandra and Jean watch them drive away in Wolsey's new Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Uh, Navy helicopters fly over the beaches in Key West, implying that Jean's father will soon return home. Yeah, as the Lion Sleeps Tonight plays. Yes, I'm in the way. Yeah, as you'll know from the X Factor. 
Um, yeah, I love, uh, I suppose, would you call it a jukebox soundtrack? Uh-huh. Um, I love all the songs. Oh, obviously, with a film like this, you have to have those known nostalgic retro yeah. songs of the time. Works perfectly. Um, re- some real bangers in there as well. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And that's Matinee. That's Matinee, yeah. A, a film that I forgot had such seriousness as well. Yeah. Um, I actually forgot that after first watch because it's a fun, it's a PG. Yeah. So it's a family film. It's obviously not nostalgic for me. I wasn't alive in the, the 50s and 60s. But it plays on a certain kind of nostalgia. Yeah. Plays on a certain kind of Americana that I love. I love those American B-movies. Um, so I just really appreciated that aspect. And then it, it has layers to it. It, it is about um, war. Yeah. It is about, you know, um, fear. Real life fear. Mm-hmm. Not the fear that we necessarily see on screen. Um, but it's also about the fear that we see on screen. It's it's great how those two are um, positioned. Yeah, no, absolutely. Film. It's a film that deserves a lot more love. Because mm. when you think Joe Dante, you know, it's rare that you actually think of this film. Um, but it really is one of his best. And it really is essential for you if you are a fan of his. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would honestly say it's his best film. Yeah. It is his best yeah. film. So... Shall we give out some awards? Yes. So, first of all, we've got Biggest Queen. Mm-hmm. I gave the award to Sandra, our communist heroine. Yeah, I also gave it to Sandra. Yes. Head of a time. Uh, biggest Gasp. Mm-hmm. I gave to Jean's Nuclear Explosion Dream. I gave it the same. Ah, great minds think alike. Best Dialogue. I wish I could give it to the whole of Mant. Uh, but I specifically went with, would you let that fit you in a pump? I went with, he's not a monster, he's a shoe salesman. <laughs> Which I suppose is the same, uh-huh. I mean, that's uh, connected. And with That's Camp, I went with Kathy Moriarty plus nurse costume. I went with the same. <laughs> and uh, what did you give it for ratings? So I gave it 10 Rumble Rama. I barely know her out of 10. I gave it 10 chaotic cinema trips resulting in a near-death experience for your kid brother out of 10. And it is, of course, a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. And it's available on DVD, Blu-ray, Video On Demand, and the Arrow Player. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend doing a double bill of The Tingler and The Pilot of Twin Peaks. And it'll give you the same feeling. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Tingly Peaks. Yeah, Tingly Peaks. (laughs) Uh, I I went with the obvious, any William Castle film. If, If you see Matinee and you haven't seen any William Castle, and you enjoy it, yeah. then I recommend watching all of it. Or, or just going back to our podcast episodes yeah. and listening to that and taking those suggestions. And Godzilla Minus One. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so if you've seen Matinee, you are a fan of it, then let us know. We are Horror Court Trash over on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Horror Court Trash on Twitter. And I am dead out Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we are edging closer to Gasp Horror Festival. 
If you want to know more about what it is, go to Gasp Horror Fest across all social media. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. And today's a Friday. We started off the new year fairly late yeah. for us. But don't worry, that's not a permanent change because we will be back on Tuesday with the other half of our Dumpman theme. And we had good film today. <laughs> now we're going to show you the other side of Dump Month. And we'll be discussing the Bye Bye Man. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, as of right now, I haven't seen it. Definitely going to be one of those films. When you say to people, oh, before I met Gary, I never watched many, <laughs> yeah. films, many new films. But now I know Gary, I've seen the Bye Bye Man. I that's a long list to yeah. add that to. I, I had the authentic feeling of seeing this during Dump Month oh. and experiencing the disappointment in the cinema when my taste wasn't as good as it is now. Oh. So I will take from that what you will. But yes, yes. Carrie Ann Moss is back on the podcast on Tuesday with the Bye Bye Man. So we will be back in the same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye Bye Man. Bye Bye Man.